Welcome to East New York and Brownsville, Brooklyn. I think that what makes East New York and Brownsville unique is that there's a deep sense of ownership that exists here. There's a really raw and strong sense of pride to be from East Brooklyn. It's kind of like an inherited credibility that makes you tough. That's why more often than not, you'll hear stories about people who made it out of Brownsville. Or that's why you'll hear people who still live here say, never ran, never will. We are a very diverse community. And we are Brooklyn. We are the essential workers, the real New Yorkers that make this city run. This community stands at the front lines of economic and environmental injustice. Just a few years ago, the de Blasio administration shrunk the East New York Industrial Business Zone from 40 blocks down to 10 blocks. And I remember around the same time, the New York Times had written an article about how East New York was the next up and coming area, basically summarizing how we were the last caboose on the gentrification chain in Brooklyn. And that's part of the reason why University NYC believes it's so important to build worker-owned cooperatives. We put workers and community benefit at the core of our purpose. We want to be able to offer the education, the tools, and the resources that are necessary for the growth to be able to create social and economic mobility for ourselves. Radio is a part of Paper Girl Brooklyn, a participatory art project bringing an interactive art experience to various communities around Brooklyn, centering resident voices and redistributing contributed art to the unsuspecting public. Paper Girl Brooklyn is taking place on the ancestral and unceded land of the Lenape. Paper Girl Radio is best experienced in combination with the art exhibition, taking place from October 1st to November 30th, 2020. Exhibitions will be installed in Bushwick, Flatbush, Coney Island, Sunset Park, Brownsville, Redwood, Greenpoint, and Bedstone. Welcome, listeners. This is Paper Girl Radio. I'm Sina Bazila Hickey. And I'm Annie Del Hierro. Some of you may be joining us by scanning the QR code on our installation on Brooklyn Eats in East New York. Others may be joining us from elsewhere and can see the installation on our website at www.papergirlbk.com slash eastbrooklyn. In this episode, we're looking at Brownsville and East New York, even though they each deserve their own episode. Annie and I came across Universe City and were immediately excited by the work that they're doing. This aquaponics farm and food port is located in the industrial zone of East New York, one street outside of the Brownsville district. The four co-founders of the space have deep roots in both Brownsville and East New York, so this episode is therefore looking at both neighborhoods as East Brooklyn. At the top of the episode, you heard one of the co-founders of Universe City, Brittany Markowitz. She's right about the area being unique, and we're really excited for this episode and to share conversations with incredible people who tell us about the side of Brownsville and East New York that the media fails to showcase. In this episode, we are talking about what nourishes a community. Universe City has done a lot to supply the surrounding area with nutritious food. By the way, I'm talking about more than food. If you were trapped in a small dark box with the most nutrient-rich food, would you feel nourished? Oh, yes. Good point. 
I guess I would also need sun, green spaces, the arts, music, community, support systems. Right. So the individuals in this episode are all nourishing the community and themselves in different ways. As you hear, University has created space for food sovereignty and entrepreneurship. We also talk with Anna Iri and Quasi Johnson, who share their skills through mentorship and teaching in the arts and design. But before we head into the neighborhood, let's have a moment with this installation. This installation is on the wall of Brooklyn Eats, an eatery that serves a lot of yummy breakfast foods, as well as salads and vegetable-based meals. This location serves in-house and to-go options, but check with them about COVID-19 changes. Our installation is on Georgia Avenue, side of their building. Whose art are we looking at? The artwork we are exhibiting was contributed by the public. All of the art was accepted as long as it was rollable, non-commercial, quality, and non-offensive. The original artwork will be distributed to the public on an unannounced day. This artwork is not for sale, instead it will be gifted at random to people going about their everyday lives in an action on bicycle. To quote Aisha Ronega, the founder of Paper Girl, you can't choose it, it chooses you. We feel that everyone should have access to art and that it shouldn't just be available to those with means and just be available in galleries and museums. To hear more about the original concept of Paper Girl, check out episode one of Paper Girl Radio called Origins. So in other words, it's by the people, for the people, it's art without commercial constraints, and it's an experience for all involved. And I do really love this world. I love that all these pieces connect with the color scheme. The repetition of pinks and purples really unify this piece. This color palette is a backdrops of paper colors, of a mix of prints, painting, and drawings. In the center, there are two circles of calling graffiti. Take your time to figure out what it says. There are multiple prints from one artist who, I will guess, has some biology background with schools and fish, and it seems like a plant matter in these images. There is a cyanotype also with the plant matter. A pair of brightly colored holding hands is a centerpiece of the installation. And I also feel drawn to the bright colors of the city space. Frida Kahlo, of course, is like popping out from this wall and painting splatters. We ask all artists when they submit their work to tell us about how they use art to make an impact. Here is Kala Michaelidis. In my work, I'm interested in focusing into the body in order to escape the mind and connect deeper to my true self and spirit. My paintings seek to exude a confidence that shines from a sense of inner trust. I hope to invite you into conversation and connection through the intensely saturated colors used to inspire feelings of liberation. Through intimate compositions, we can turn inward to connect with the self and in turn, the rest of humanity. Creating has been a great form of communication throughout my life. I don't think of myself as someone who is great with words or incredibly articulate conversationally. So instead, I tend to lead with emotion, observation, and intuition. Having learned much about myself and the world through other people's art, I value and strive to contribute to the collective creative expression. I believe in a communal existence and creative experience. 
sharing ideas, trading solutions and inspirations, reaching out a hand to help others, and lifting each other up are all things that inspire me in life and art. Creativity and community. A forever goal of mine is to dive deeper and sink further into both together. And here's Max Gibbons, who also talks about art being a way to connect with others. I'm a calligrapher, so I chose the words that I write very carefully. Sometimes they might be song lyrics, poetry, or stories that I hear from people in the community. And then I usually take those words and I use them to create quote-unquote calligraffiti pieces that mix traditional calligraphy styles with graffiti techniques back onto the streets. So I interact with those neighborhoods and I try to make those stories and memories uh, tangible through artworks that are public and for those people in the communities to pass and enjoy. One way of making an impact with art is to become a mentor or a teacher. That is exactly what Anna Erie and Quasi Johnson are doing. Anna is a graphic designer and teaching artist who was born and raised in Brownsville. Quasi is a fashion designer and teaching artist raised in Brownsville, and the two know each other from their work at the Youth Design Center, formerly Made in Brownsville, which you will hear them refer to as YDC and MIB. Youth Design Center provides marketable skills such as design, tech, the arts, communication to the community to provide economic opportunities and build future leaders. Anna begins by sharing one of her experiences as a teaching artist. When I was still working at MIB as a junior graphic designer, one day a father from the community came in asking to learn more about Photoshop and graphic design, specifically how to make a flyer because he wanted to make one for his son who does boxing. It stuck out to me because one, he was of an older generation and it was probably like a learning curve for him to learn graphic design. And, and he, I think that very day, like he came in with an Apple computer. Like he bought it that very day. He was very, I was like, no, I'm gonna make this for my son and help my son out. and you know, get his name out there. And I feel like that is a lot about, you know, Brownsville. And um, there's like a saying with Brownsville, like never ran, never will. Like there's this, um, I don't know, like the determination and like a lot of the residents that isn't really spoken about when there's dialogue about Brownsville. Like it's always about, you know, like the poverty or violence, but there's never a conversation about the like, spirit of the residents. And I think that particular experience says a lot about the drive of like some of the residents and how they'll go and get information. He could have just like went online, but instead he was like, I'm gonna go to someone from my community, you know, instead of going outside of the community. That's awesome. I really, I really like that. I think that definitely does speak to the hidden culture of Brownsville. And I say hidden with hesitance because it's not really hidden, but most people don't really know about it. But there is a very resilient, like fighting spirit in Brownsville because things aren't handed to us. Not that they're handed to anyone, but in our neighborhood in particular, it it's neglected. And you have to figure out how you're gonna get yourself out of whatever situation that you're in at the moment. And it's very family oriented. Brownsville actually has a history of of fighters and not just in like the spiritual sense, but in like the physical sense, you know, like there's a lot of boxers that have come from Brownsville 
so there's there's a lot of pride associated with that but i think it also speaks to the relationship between you know fathers and and their sons because you don't really see that often you know whenever you see things in the media or just you know in a public light it's more so mothers with their daughters or with their sons and that is more common but there's been numerous times where just me walking through Brownsville and I see fathers with their sons or with their daughters pushing strollers with infants just you know with their older kids and it always kind of like warms me up a little bit because those are genuine interactions that like because society makes them seem so rare when you get to witness them it kind of like it does something to you and I feel like um it's important because we all need to support each other but when it's coming from one of your own it's definitely more impactful yeah and that that happens a lot where people would come in and they're asking for help with something that they're trying to start and promote like a movement and it wasn't until um working with mib which is now ydc um that i would see that people would come in all the time like hey what do you guys do here okay my son is such and such can he join this program my daughter wants to do this and that can you you know can she join this program and you know just seeing parents advocate for their children in a positive way is something that like it always makes me feel good because there's that that positive mentality and that drive is is very alive in brownsville it's just not something that's that's publicized as much yeah i agree like exactly because it and like you said it relates to like the story that i was telling of the father and the boxing because like he had like that drive and it's just, it's not publicized. Instead, they'd rather focus on, you know, violence and, you know, the, um, you know, projects and, you know, things of that sort. Like they, and also demonize the projects in oh. a way too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, definitely. It, it's very easy to do that, unfortunately. Um, and one thing that has always, always like boggled my mind is the fact that Brownsville has the highest population for public housing in the country. Like in the United States, there's a state called New York. Inside that state, there's New York City. Inside New York City, there's Brooklyn. And then inside Brooklyn, there's Brownsville. And in that one like sub-borough, there's more people living in a concentrated area than anywhere else in the country. That to me is like mind-blowing. And there are a lot of things that, that come with that type of territory. I mean, you have thousands of hundreds of thousands of people living on top of each other. There's going to be different personality types that might clash. There's going to be personality types that, that are going to mesh really well. And oftentimes it leans more so, more so towards people meshing. I think that that creativity, along with the, the drive that people have, I think that's definitely something that's that's kept us alive and kind of kept us together. I personally believe that you that creativity is is essential to survival. Um, some people might say that they're not creative, but I think that's contingent on your perspective. Because for you to get dressed in the morning or decide what to wear or like 
you know, how to word your email, that takes a certain amount of creativity that you just overlook, you know? And it's not until you come across someone that is creative in different ways that you start to appreciate what creativity you have or the ways in which you're creative and, you know, kind of bond with someone who's creative in a different way. Like for Anna and I, um, me doing fashion and her doing graphic design, like some people might think that those are completely different things, but there's been numerous times where I'm like, hey, Anna, do you want to like help me design this, uh, this flat? Because this isn't really my strong suit, you know? And that allows us to, to not only work together, but create something that other people can benefit from. And I think that is definitely something that Brownsville needs more of. I think just the world in general, but you know, gotta start somewhere. So I think Brownsville is a good place. We have probably very different experiences teaching. From my knowledge, you usually teach people who are, you know, older, like teen, right? Like yeah. teenage years, adult, and my teaching experience is more like younger kids, like middle school, elementary. I think creating things makes you look at things differently because now as a fashion designer, when I go shopping or looking at clothes, I'm looking at these garments completely different because I know what it takes to to make them. And I know the work and the thought processes that go into making them. Um, when I was teaching uh, my first sewing class, we were making t-shirts. And just by me drawing the the pattern for each part of the shirt and having them guess which part was what, like the 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 joy but confusion and awe on their faces at the fact that like this weird bell shape is a sleeve, you know? Like for that to be something so mind blowing to them, for me it was like it was kind of rewarding because I'm like, okay, this is a new thing that I'm getting to teach you. And now that you have this under your belt, you can teach someone else and you can also do something to benefit yourself, your family, and even your community. I love that, honestly, because it's something that that's a way more lasting impression than you giving someone money or, you know, like compliments are cool too, but I feel like if you teach someone how to do something, like it adds, value to their life you know because they they feel like okay i can create this thing now you know like i can help people i can make the things that i see in my head and um it's 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 really rewarding but i I do think it's necessary because that's how we grow you know all the information that we know now has come from someone somewhere that has learned it from someone somewhere else you know so who are we not to pass down that knowledge to our own people? Because if we don't do it, then we don't know who's going to do it. And I'd rather be the one to do it if I'm, if I'm able, because I mean, it's, I'm not going to lose anything from, from teaching you, you know, in the event that you become better than me, then that's great. I want you to become better than me because then you can go on to teach more people, you know, like, and I think that that's important to a community because when you're able to give back to the people in that community, it raises the 
economic value of the community because now you have more more citizens that can contribute to your neighborhood you know and i think that's always beneficial in the long run and it makes us self-sufficient and i think that's something that's that's extremely extremely important at the end of the day we still most of us we still have to outsource to a manufacturer that owns a factory somewhere and almost 10 times out of 10 those factories aren't black owned you know so i think that is definitely um a goal but having more people in your community that are able to be self-sufficient i think it helps to bring us a lot closer to that but um i'm kind of interested to to see like or to hear rather like how things have been as far as like you know teaching graphic design because you said you've worked with like younger age groups now yeah yeah so like yeah more um like around middle school elementary school that age jeez i I know those kids have a lot of energy so like how how is that it wasn't like i thought it would be at first as you said like energy i was like worried that it you know might be a little too much energy but it was it was good like it was a good balance like there were like there were times where it was more energetic there were more like down times and also i feel like it was beneficial that like the program it it was more like they they had to choose to be there you know like they weren't they weren't required to be in the program like it was their choice to be in the program and you can you can tell because just the the initiative that they took in the work and just how like interested they were in like learning more about like graphic design and just like learning like you know like the 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 back end of like with like like the example I like to give usually for like younger kids is like the McDonald's logo like you see it and you're like oh it's McDonald's but you don't really think about what goes behind it, like the colors they're using, like the red, which is specifically chosen, you know, to invoke, like, you know, hunger, which a lot of fast food companies use, like the red color and, you know, just the M, like it being iconic. You're not really thinking about that until you learn more about graphic design. And like you mentioned a little earlier, like turning your brain to like another way of seeing things. Mm -hmm. But with you, you use, fashion as an example but graphic design can also be used in that way because before you know about like graphic design logos and types when you're looking at things like that you're not really thinking about oh what font they use the turning the um, the sizing the proportions of things like what might have went behind it like to to target you know a certain like demographic you're not you're not thinking from that perspective until you learn that information. I do feel like we should talk about the, like the access to information in the neighborhood. One day I was walking home, I got off the train and instead of making a left, I made a right. And I was like, all right, let me just see what's down here. And I saw the Brownsville Justice Community Center. And I saw they had like a list of services that they were offering. Um, they were teaching entrepreneurial classes. They they had access to like healthcare for free. They had um, housing 
they were able to help you get your diploma, your, I mean, your GED, your driver's license, OSHA 30 and 40. And for me, I, I had never seen anything like that, especially in my neighborhood. And I've lived there for so long. Um, so curiosity got the best in me. I walked in and um, I was welcome with like open arms. They were just like, hey, look, whatever you need. Like, it's good to to know what's going on in your community. But I think it's more important to know about the resources that are there because there are some people that are in need of those resources, but they don't know that there's access to them like at their front door or around the corner from the corner store that they go to. And I think that type of access is important because it it helps the community to develop, you know, um, and not just from like a financial standpoint, but just overall, you know, um, that one organization is connected to a couple other organizations in the area that give away fruits and that sell fresh vegetables from gardens that were planted in the neighborhood that really opened my eyes to like what's really around us and how much power we actually have to to change our situations i feel like a lot of times we we can be reliant just because you know we don't know that those things exist and again it comes down to the exposure you know so being exposed to those things it made me want to do more for my community before i was just you know a random civilian just walking through the neighborhood i say hi to a couple faces that i see every now and then but finding places like that it made me want to be more impactful because it, it showed me that we have the ability to make the changes that we want to see in our neighborhoods what would you say like got you into graphic design like how did you find that or how did it find you i kept seeing a lot of like different programs for graphic design and then i ended up seeing one in my neighborhood so i was like oh well this this fits and i already knew about photoshop and just adobe creative suite so i figured it would mesh and it's also a good way for me to be able to make money on my own as opposed to having to work for someone in like a traditional nine to five but as i started doing it more i started to do it more from the mindset of in my opinion there's not a lot of people who look like me in that field and i feel like it's always like powerful when you are like someone that is not you know, not the expectation in an environment and taking up that space. Because when you take up that space, the next person coming in, they can see you and feel like they are accepted in that space because they see someone who looks like them. Yeah, that's, that's powerful. But I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, that was powerful. The whole conversation was powerful. Anna Erie and Quasi Johnson covered so much, and we couldn't even put it all in. They covered things like representation, family, resilience, drive, education, value, design. Yes to all of that. Can we emphasize what Quasi said about creativity? People who don't consider themselves creative misunderstand what that means. 
Creativity is navigating a problem, making decisions, and leadership takes a lot of creativity. And it was creativity that brought four people together to create Universe City. But before we get into our next conversation, we're going to take a pause to let everything sink in over a song. This is Ready for Your Miracle by Felicia Douglas. It's too often I'm aware No more passion To be fair Because I say what I Cherish whatever crosses me. That was Felicia Douglas with Ready for Your Miracle. I just had a little dance while listening to that song and now feel energized and ready to get into our conversation with Universe City. University is the aquaponics farm and food court located in the industrial zone of East New York. It's an incubation space for Black, Indigenous, people of color and women. The founders all have personal and ancestral connections to the land and are working to build a food sovereign city in East Brooklyn. I was very excited to visit University. I love that connection that they have with plants. 
And I felt also really familiar because my mom has taught me a lot about the medicinal qualities of plants. And it's like incredible to see all what you can do with plants, all what you can heal with plants. And I have a friend who has taught me about ancestral connection through plants. And that's how she kept connected with Ecuador and while she's been living in the US. I also love when creative spaces are about getting your hands dirty and just like getting involved and growing plants and also how you can do it when you live in a building, how you can do it just in your window and how that changed your daily life. You and I visited university and it's such an incredible space. There's this main area that has the food farming systems. There are spaces allotted to members who have a plethora of entrepreneurial ideas such as tea supplies. There's an art space for beautifully designed subway cars and carpentry. Shout out to Turtle. This is also where workshops take place. They have a food supply and a free fridge. And we talked with the co-founders who were very generous to make time to talk with us between their busy schedules. At the top of the episode, we heard co-founder Brittany Markowitz, who is a futurist and Brooklyn College graduate. She's also the owner of Industrial Recycling Metal Ecology, which her father's family started after settling in East New York in the 1930s from Germany. Her mother is a Brownsville native and author of Brownsville Bread. Another co-founder, Jill Bellovin, is a musician, environmentalist, and writer. Her family has owned and operated Legion Lighting, a commercial lighting business in East New York since the 1940s. She proposed utilizing unused lighting factory space for what has become Universe City. My family has had a commercial slash industrial lighting manufacturing company since the 1940s in East New York. My great-grandparents and my grandfather lived in Brownsville for a while and then they had also started the business. And now that I've grown up and have gotten involved in Legion Lighting, I have uh, shifted gears to learn about what's going on in East New York and Brownsville. And since we've met Alexis and Frank, it's been an amazing journey to, to both get in touch with my roots and what it means to be a, I guess, somebody who owns property in a neighborhood that they're not from and like what it means to become involved and, and know what role and what I can do to help provide it, but also step back and, and use this resource as a platform to give space to other people. Franklin Alejandro Mena has been community organizing for the last 10 years and has background in social and emotional intelligence, marketing, business management, and logistics. Alexis Mena is a curandere farmer, chef, and organizer. Their background is in placemaking and community organizing. The founders met during Alexis' project called Civ Labs, about civic engagement. The first voice we'll hear is Alexis. We wanted to give thanks and praise to the Lenape people who are sovereign to this land and have stewarded Turtle Island for centuries prior to us. And so we want to honor and show respect to that. And when they were displaced by Dutch settlers, Eastern York and, and Brownsville historically have been farmland for a long time. After the migration of a lot of white settlers in the area, they came into contact with the black and brown people who escaped Manhattan and crossed over the river to create communities here. So Brownsville is one of the original historic black communities of escaped slaves alongside Weeksville and the great importance of that 
black community is what we stand on. For the 60s and 70s, Brownsville historically, it was a middle-class black working family um, after white flight happened and most people came, ran to the suburbs as a result of redlining in this community, disenfranchised the community tremendously in the 70s and 80s. Since then, the community has worked to reestablish itself and to um, work against a lot of the issues that white supremacy has brought into the community as a result of this, that disenfranchisement. And so there's been a, a rise in crime and, and violence in the community as a result of the need. And so we are firm believers that a cure for that violence and cure for those issues is to obtain intergenerational economic mobility through food production and through the practice of sustainable farming. We've been blessed to meet through a project that Alexa was doing called Civ Labs, which is civic engagement. And you know, that's not fun and exciting for people. So Alexa's called it Civ Labs for short. Jill and Brittany ended up there as wanting to get to know more of the neighborhood and get to know more about how they can be involved and how they can participate in helping create change within the neighborhood. For those of you that don't know East New York and Brownsville, East New York and Brownsville is known as a food apartheid. Uh, food apartheid is a community that is, that is lacking organic and healthy options. And yet we have restaurants and places here that we can, that might be accessible, but not always affordable for some. So that's what is food apartheid. And currently we are in the works of building out our aquaponic system so that we have an opportunity to contribute to the neighborhood and provide them with healthy and organic food and also produce as far as fish go. That's why we are passionate about aquaponics and hydroponics because in, indoor farming is a wave of the future and is a need because we are in New York only six months out of the year, you're able to do rural farming or dirt farming. Um, we are here now to contribute to the area and shift gears on how do we do in, more indoor farming and contribute to something that we can do uh, farming all, all year round. Still doing the, the um, dirt farming, but also contribute to the indoor farming so it goes hand to hand. Um, and be able to provide the produce and nutrients uh, and the right veggies for the community at, at large. Uh, we look to provide it to shelters, NYCHA buildings, senior centers, schools. Not only are we looking to provide produce, but educate uh, the community about what it looks like to grow their own food um, and also package their own food and distribute their own food to create a food sovereign hub. After the cohort that we worked with at Lab, I was approached by Brittany and Jill with this underutilized space that had been part of Jill's family for a long time, and we decided to turn it into a farm. Once we put our heads together, we said, wow, this could be so much more than a farm. So we generated it to be a community space, an interactive co-working space to provide entrepreneurs in Brownsville and East New York a space to a wet space or a space that you can actually fabricate, build, and plan the machines of the future. You know, we're really firm believers that the people who have the solutions to the issues that they're facing are the people themselves. So the community members are the ones that are going to be able to tell you what's the best way out of the issues that they're facing, or at least co-creators of those solutions. The reason why we see art and food and culture go hand to hand, and the importance of it is because communities like East New York and Brownsville are known to be uh, underserved and a lot of times when you're coming from underserved communities a lot of the first things that you see are fast food joints 
bodegas and a lack of supermarkets. So the food and the veggies that are in these areas don't always have the nutritional value that they have from when they first get harvested, which leads to obviously a lack of nutritional value, which leads to also more carbon footprint in areas like this and environmental waste in areas like this. So we feel like the importance of educating our people through art, creativity, and culture is important because sometimes when you're in the process of bringing something new and something innovative or something that might not be known in communities like East New York and Brownsville, art and creative manners help in influencing change and help influencing understanding and educating people on how to better have community care and self-care for themselves. So a lot of our work for the last two years has been social and emotional work, which is educating people on personality styles, leadership styles, healthy ways of eating. You know, Alexis has done a lot of cooking demos so that we can show people that some of the items of veggies that you might not be used to or, or accustomed to, you can cook them in unique ways and in ways that might be culturally appropriate for themselves and be able to participate in a healthier way of eating and also a healthier lifestyle to obviously reduce the high rate of cholesterol, high diabetes, and heart disease uh, that happens with a lot of times in underserved neighborhoods. So these cooking demos and the social and emotional work that we do uh, supports in educating people on how to alter these much needed ways. At the very foundation of our work is community healing. We don't believe that you can ever move forward with things like economic mobility before really facing the issues that causes disenfranchisement in the first place. So part of what we do is social and emotional education to support the evolution of the emotional maturity levels of the people who are in this space and help them understand how we got here. You know, so what are the systematic and government pressures uh, as well as private sector pressures that have created a community that faced such environmental racism, economic disenfranchisement, and social issues. If you are a community member and have an idea, or have a suggestion, and are looking for a space to work on it, come to university. Like, we, uh, find us online at university.nyc. We have forums there on how to volunteer, and we'll be putting up forums soon on how to submit proposals and how to get projects going. So if you're interested in being and contributing and, and uh, being part of the organizing we've been doing, Please reach out. Please come out and uh, support us so we can support you. I'm so excited to follow this group and to see how they develop, grow, and create. You can do more than just follow their work. You can assist in the success of University by donating to the Grown Brownsville Fundraiser that will help them found and build their aquaponics systems. You can also go to their space and volunteer. They can always use extra hands. Futurist Brittany Markowitz leaves us with this. There is no distinction between environmental and racial injustice. To me, in order to build resilient systems, racism and equity has to be at the center of our new economy in order to begin to heal the issues that are systematic. And these issues need to be addressed immediately. Which is why our organization, Universe City NYC, is working to educate our community on how to create intergenerational economic mobility to counter the historical social oppression happening to the people of Brownsville and East New York. University's mission is to create sustainable urban farms and food sovereign hubs through food production, education, 
and manufacturing founded on circular economic principles. Currently, our community is at the front line of pollution, which is why we need to start relying less on fossil fuels and focus our time and attention on building clean and sustainable systems. Verizon Wireless and larger utility companies such as National Grid and Con Edison are too often granted permission from the city of New York and from the state of New York to dump their toxic, unsustainable energy systems into our land, profiting off us while dumping in our community and leaving us behind. Richness in life is something that we all want to have. Health and wellness is something that we all want to have. We need to invest in our future, and we need to do that within our own community. As a society, we need to become more connected with our food. We need to be more connected to our local food systems and to our waste systems in order to truly understand how to create long-term solutions that will affect ourselves and our families for years to come. To find out more about the organizations, individuals, and music in this episode, please visit our website, which also has a list of resources. And we want to hear from you, so find us on Instagram at papergirlbk. Thank you to Universe City, Brittany Markowitz, Jill Belovin, Franklin Mena, Alexis Mena, for talking with us and showing us your space. Thank you to Anna Erie and Quasi Johnson for taking the time to tell us about your community and the work that you do. Thank you to Brooklyn Eats, that's B-K-L-Y-N Eats, for your support of our installation. The music in this episode is by Felicia Douglas. Our original title track and other beats were created by Nick Jost. Thank you for the recording support by Max Linsky and the Brooklyn Nursery. Paper Girl Brooklyn is organized by us, Sina Vasilejiki and Annie Del Hierro. Annie is our music outreach coordinator. And Sina is the program editor. Thank you to all of the artists who sent their work in the mail, printed artwork with BKC, and brought their work to our drop-off event. See something you like? Let them know. We would love to hear from you about how you are experiencing Paper Girl Brooklyn. So tag us in your Instagram post at papergirlbk, send us an email or a one-minute audio clip of your experience to papergirlbk at gmail.com. You might hear yourself in the last episode. And thank you to the Brooklyn Arts Council. Paper Girl Brooklyn is sponsored in part by the Greater New York Arts Development Fund of the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs, administered by Brooklyn Arts Council. Back.